You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Welcome to episode 16. On the last episode, we discussed Catch 33 by Meshuggah. There was actually a fair amount of spirited discussion around this record. It seemed to be that a lot of Meshuggah fans were saying that Hobson or Kloss was, was a better record, but ultimately the public decided that it does indeed go into discography, so Catch 33 has been decided as being the definitive record by Meshuggah, which I couldn't be happy about, to be honest. And I think we've are and Chris also agree with that. Now it's time to change gears entirely away from metal towards indie pop, and we're going to talk about 23 by Blonde Redhead. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser. And I'm joined by two men who like to wear flip flops. <laughs> I <laughs> never wear. I never wear flip flops. Never. Or sandals, or even slippers. I don't. Everybody thinks I'm weird for not wearing slippers. You've got famously hideous toes. I've got really nice toes. I hate feet, My feet so are, much. Hate feet so yeah, much. feet are weird. Fucking aren't freak me out, man. They are. I mean, I'm not weird to be with them. Oh, well, yeah. Right. Just be stumps. <laughs> Just be stumps. Stuff hooves. <laughs> uh, to my right is Chris Cusack who has trotters <laughs> my left is Dave Weaver who has neither feet nor trotters but that kind of like weird suction cup thing that slugs up oh yeah that's me <laughs> but it does allow him to go up walls and uh, cross ceilings it is very useful and spying people from above mm-hmm. that's my life Stuck to a ceiling, <laughs> watching a person while I listen to my sugar. This is like totally Kafkaesque right now. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> All right, so what album are we doing this week? We are going to discuss for the next 30 to 40 minutes. <laughs> 23 by Blonde Redhead. Should make us twenty three minutes long. <laughs> oh, it's right, how it's going to be. Well, I have to talk really fast. Now you you've been uh, banging on about this record for a while. You have been talking about yeah, it for I a, mean, a while. Eleven years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, how? What was it for you? Like, I I don't I didn't even know the band. I didn't know the band at all. Call yourself a DJ. I 
Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, dro- I don't drop. I don't drop. Breathless. Indeed. This is a really good album to DJ stuff from if you're doing electro stuff. Like, see, see mm. the first two tracks especially yeah. are really good songs for dance floors if they're like a little bit sexy. I know you don't like a sexy <laughs> dance floor. <laughs> I love a sexy dance floor. I I do an R&B night, Chris Cusack. Uh, you do? Yeah. What's it called? Uh, <laughs> it's called... Uh, Dave's sexy R&B night. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds legit. Um, I don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> uh, I'm invited to play later. You get turned this away is, to this is, uh, this is white people's sexy music. <laughs> Blonde redhead. Really? Yeah. We're going to go yes, there. I just think again. it's just, I, like, this is indie music. But the singer's Japanese. I'm not saying it's shit. <laughs> no, I know, but it's indie music. But it, well, it is indie music. Yeah. yeah I, right. I find it very hard to have sex to indie music. <laughs> I think it's the least sexy con- uh, genre. <laughs> least sexy. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say country music. <laughs> country music and indie music are the least sexy genres. I'm I'm good at editing things, but even I'm not going to be able to cut that. <laughs> I just uh, um yeah no it's fine. I mean sell this album. I like I actually really like this album. I just would never call it sexy. Okay oh, okay maybe it's breath. I will, I don't I will know. go to the map for this album. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I I think this album is probably. For me, one of the most perfect fits with what we're doing with the podcast, mm-hmm. in the sense that I think it's honestly an absolute masterpiece. And whilst it was well received, reasonably well received, I think it got to like number seventy six in the US, something like that. Um, nowhere near the kind of cultural value that I think it deserves. When you look at the, just the way that I don't, I don't mean similar, but stuff by yeah, yeah, yeahs and things like that got elevated to a much higher platform. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, especially like their third album, where they were a lot more electro. Yeah. And again, you talk about like you know, I'm talking about dance floor indie music, like the the, the uh, was it uh, skeletons stuff yeah, like that. From yeah, yeah. The, that's the kind of stuff that really works on an indie dance floor. Again, with stuff like this, and I've DJed both in the same set numerous times, and it is music that makes specifically girls dance. The female vocal, the kind of good beat. It's it's played music. It's indie music, but it's got a kind of a groove and a it's got an emotional kind of ethereal feel to it that isn't there in the kind of, you know, the kind of janglier sort of stuff that even those other bands have done. It's it's just a little bit sexier and dreamier. Blonde Redhead, I love as a band because they're really obtuse. I mean, they've got nine albums now. And I mean, the first two albums are out and out art rock albums. Like just the comparisons with Sonic Youth smothered them for years and years and years. They came out of New York. I think it's two twin brothers, two Italian brothers, Amadeo and Simone Pace, mm-hmm. I think you pronounce it, and uh, a Japanese singer called Kazuo Makino. They had, a, I think, another Japanese bass player or Japanese kind of heritage bass player called uh, Maki Takahashi, but uh, they left pretty early on. But the, the trio of the two brothers and Kazuo, uh, Kazuo's actually a partner as one of the brothers, Amadeo, who's the guitarist, they became like the staple lineup of that band. And originally they were very much just like a kind of, uh, how would you put it, awkward art indie band. So mm-hmm. the, there was the, the first couple of albums. They started working with Guy Pichotto mm-hmm. from Fugazi. Uh, he produced three records for them. Um, Misery is a Butterfly being the last one. Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons, or there's a version of it in French called Melody Citronique. And uh, the first one he did with them is one called Expression of the Inexpression. Uh, <laughs> Expression of the inexpressible which again is like really like it's it's sonic youthy but it's also it's sonic youthy it's sometimes the most weird like there's mm-hmm. stuff in it that's just weirdly produced 
repetitive, noisy, kind of slightly out of tune, ugly riffs. Of great songs in it. Uh, there's a song called Futurism versus Passeism, which I think Guy Pichotto was involved in the composition for, and it showed them moving away from this really odd art scene. So there's a, there was a lot of bands in that American art scene at that time, like Unwound were part of that, and there was Oneida, I think that's mm-hmm. pronounced. Really odd groups. Some of it, you know, liars are kind of known for it as well, in the sense yeah. that some of their music's just, like, so bizarre. You're like, it's fun, but it's sort of, I don't know, it's, like, how good is this song? I like the idea of this band, but do, yeah. I, do I like listening to their tunes? And Blonde Redhead did that for a while, where they were, they were fun and weird, and they had the occasional good bit of music, but there was nothing really coming together. And then, after Expression, getting into a melody of Certain Damaged Lemons... They started actually writing songs, yeah, and albeit still quite sparse and st- quite quite kind of downbeat, her voice is very. Um, I like how wonky it is. Uh, like melody, of certain damage. Yeah, lines. oh, it's yeah, just, it, yeah it's absolutely. It's, it's weird. It's like it's slightly sad, but also slightly oddball. It, but it showed the first signs of like what they could do. There's a track on it called "In Particular," which is the opening track. Or it's not the opening track, but it's the f- opening first proper track. Mm-hmm. It. it is absolutely brilliant really weird timings the percussion is like a mixture of like clicked fingers and drums really off kilter and her just repeating these little phrases like xx and just saying little phrases like that and it's such a good tune to put on in a dj set like it's really fun that like thing that Fugazi did later in their career where they were effectively playing post-punk post-hardcore sort of stuff but it uh-huh. was dancey like, I mean that's that's a brilliant track the rest of the album isn't quite as good as that track they went on to Misery as a Butterfly uh, it's the last one that Gipi Choto worked on and I think for a lot of critics that was their best one don't agree because this came after and the big break with this album um misery came out in 4ed um they'd moved off of like independent labels and stuff and they'd gone to 4ed and i think 4ed with misery realized that the band had a lot more pop potential in them than maybe they'd realized up until that point Uh certainly that they'd ever given voice to so they went into the project with 23 it was initially self-produced and then I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see this said explicitly, but uh, it seems to me that once they realised how strong the songs were and the fact that the band had moved in a much more commercial direction, in terms of structure, it's not particularly commercial in, this, in terms of like you know, banging mm-hmm. it on Radio Clyde, but in terms of structure, I think 4AD smelled a potential hit. Yeah, and so they brought in Alan Mulder, who I, I was saying to you guys earlier on. Alan Mulder's done stuff with Nine Inch Nails. He's produced bands like U2. He worked with uh, Depeche Mode, who yep. we've, we've done stuff with, obviously, before. Um, he did Smashing Pumpkins as well, which I think was part of why they thought he'd be a really good fit for this, because it's like, take an indie band, but make them into a potentially a stadium band. Yeah. 
And so straight off the bat with 23 from the start of the, the title track 23, which opens the album, it's like much more shoegazy, much, the word is lush. It's just... Lush is... It's yeah, yeah, yeah. a really yeah, lush yeah. album. Like for a three-piece band, and I've seen them do it live and it was surprisingly big live. It really was, but the just there's a much bigger emphasis on synths. The, with the drums, they started using a kind of hybrid kit of like organic kit and pads. And the, the pad stuff is all the way through it and it, it became a real strong feature of it. Um, her vocals became very uh, drenched, very wet. Yeah. You know, loads of reverb and delay and very dreamy and the whole the whole shoegaze thing. Yeah, really there's definitely the a big sort of My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of but like a cleaner, sort of... a cleaner version of My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, they didn't yeah, yeah. go as far as that. Now, Tidied up. What I do wonder, um, because I know the band were understandably, I think, sick to the back teeth at the like, relentless comparisons to Sonic Youth in their early uh, early career. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if that isn't why they made this kind of stark, well, it's stark, because um, Misery's a Butterfly was a sort of first step, but why they started to change this direction. Maybe it was totally organic, or maybe there was an, an element of... We need to distinguish ourselves. Like we need to take this kind of more esoteric sound, but move it away from the kind of meandering aimlessness of art rock. I mean, I love art rock. I love mm-hmm. a good art rock album. But frankly, they bear fewer repeated listens because they can. it's much more about concept than it is about, yeah. you know, how, how good is it to drive at night and listen well, to uh, your average unwound record as opposed to... Well, yeah, it's in the the definition of art rock you yeah. know it's more about yeah and a lot of it's about delivery test. as well and the performance and you know you go and see an art rock show and it can be superb because it's edgy and weird and uh-huh. something really spontaneous um blonde redhead live saw them at or more some years ago i think it was on this tour they're famously sort of um what's the word they're quite cold to the audience they don't yeah. really interact mm-hmm. um but it really works with this stage of their career I don't know how well it would have worked when they were an art rock band because it might have just looked like they weren't having any fun. But see, by this point, where like the kind of sexiness of music, the, the lushness, the synths and all that stuff, and the fact that she was now singing rather than yelping, she wasn't, you know, just shouting at a microphone and yeah. stuff. Like, she's actually doing this really dreamy, whispery thing that she does. That really added... Uh, it was really enigmatic. It was really alluring, to given, given the style of this album as opposed to the kind of yelpier earlier stuff. Um, you know, they used a lot of like smoke on stage. They used there was a lot of like violet and pink in yeah. the lights, and it was ethereal. Were, yeah, it was very ethereal and, and haunting. It really worked when you actually start listening to the album and you're listening to that trippiness and the dreaminess and stuff. Yeah. So it was a quite a big directional change aesthetically for the band, yeah. and I just think it was super successful in terms of the, the results because mm-hmm. it's a ten track album, and for me, it's ten great tracks. And the last one is an outro track, more or less, so you can kind of maybe a little bit throwaway but by no means bad but the nine fully formed tracks before it i don't think there's a weak song on the album i, um, I, I really see like i it. feel like it sort of faded away the second half of the album just those tracks just weren't quite because like see i see the thing is I, i'd seen that written but the thing is the, the track heroin on the album if that had been put at the start i think yeah, is um, every bit as strong i think there's, there's maybe just i really a, like publisher That's a great track, song. and there's that yeah, one as well, and that, that's kind of what I mean. It's like, but you... I've publisher kind of stood out in the second half of the record for me because it was like, it was like, oh, and then 
If you listen to it on shuffle, it's actually quite interesting how strong the tracks at the end are. There's yeah. maybe a little bit of fatigue involved in just the, 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 the listening to the full run of the album, but honestly, like out of sequence, they work really, really well. Maybe it is fatigue, because this is not the sort of album that I just listen to a lot of. Or, I mean, maybe that's not fair. Like, I do, I do like indie, but for me, and I can see how it resonates so strongly with you, because this is the sort of record that I think if it's going to stick with you, it has to be like reminiscent of a time or a place or you have to capture it in a moment and then that album means something to you because like this is a very sort of like breathless emotional album and emotional in a, that sort of like cinematic way This, this was a big album for us when we were touring. Yeah. Um, it came yeah, out. exactly. So it takes you back to a place. Yeah, it was it was an album that, you know, it, yeah, everyone's putting tunes on a playlist in the van. Yeah. It was one that a number of people would put on and it was great at night because it was so trippy and so yeah. pretty, but had a beat. There was, it, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't cold electronic music. It was played, but it... I can also have, imagine that it would be a really good record to put on in the car, like driving home. Definitely. In the sunshine on the way home from like a trip. Where you're all feeling slightly like yeah, melancholic yeah. about, oh fuck, we're going back to real life, but I've had a really good time. It does have like, yeah, especially like the opening two tracks have a really Generation X top down, day at the beach, yeah. teenagers. Yeah, 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 exactly. Home, last week of holidays before everyone goes to college, kind of mm-hmm. romantic American teenagers. Well, twi- yeah, 23 yeah. was used in Skins. Yeah. It's, which it's, is like exactly what it exactly. sounds like. It. It's been actually, it's been licensed uh, in, in a lot of different, yeah. uh, to a lot of different shows and it's, it tends to be for that purpose of illustrating that kind of yeah. wistful late teenage sort of growing up kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Quite similar to that M83 album, Saturday's Equal Youth. Yeah, yeah. Although it's a bit more 80s vibe, but it's yeah, it's got that sort of nostalgic, wistful feeling to it. Hi folks, for the last four to six episodes, we have been sober as judges for this podcast and it's really because the wells run dry. That is true, I'm drinking sparkling water. Absolutely. Have a can I'm brewing. I'm lapping water out of puddles (laughs) (laughs) from the south side of Glasgow on the way here. Um, If you feel like donating to the podcast, we would hugely appreciate it and use to underwrite our worst habits and tendencies. Um, but the dialogue will be all the more colourful and shambolic as a result. <laughs> so please go to unsungpod.net forward slash donate. Uh, Bitcoin especially appreciated as it's untraceable and allows us to have people assassinated via the deep web. <laughs> Thanks. Little does Sauvignon Blanc for £3.50. I never even knew that. Exactly. £3.50 buys a bottle of fun. Someone tag Little. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Little. What did you think, Mark? Because I know you were kind of new to this. Eh? I was very new to it, and I, I fell in love with it. Everything about it, I enjoyed. Um, I love the, I love the dreaminess of it. <laughs> Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> I love the dreaminess of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Um, no, like it is very dreamy and very lush, and it, it, it is an it is an electronic record for sure. But it, it does feel very played and organic, like you said. Um, for me, Doctor Strange Love is a standout track. <laughs> Song. I really, really enjoyed that track. Yeah, yeah, a lot. All of it's so well composed as well. Do you There's know? Lots of really interesting ideas that come in. What? This was 2007, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did In Rainbows come out? 2007. I'm not sure. It's not because 2009. Maybe 2008. But like, because obviously I just hear in this album, but like the guitar in Strange Love sounds yeah. a lot like the weird fishes or peggy on in you know, rainbow it's got it, like you know aesthetically that. actually you're right they're quite compatible albums um the, there is a trippiness and a dreaminess to in rainbows as well that is mm. quite similar to this and a kind yeah. of wistfulness yeah. it's, it's gentle but not too gentle um yeah it's probably a good comparison man but i don't i don't know uh, chronologically speaking i think it is 2000 i think they're the same year but um I th- it's also interesting that if it was the label that brought Mulder into this i think it really made sense like because it I can imagine how, having listened to all their back catalogue, I've got all their stuff. Like I can imagine how this could have turned out. And there are tracks on it. Doctor Strange Love is one that uh, would have suffered, I think, on any previous record by them without the production. I think 23 would have suffered without that as well. Um, and I also think uh, Top Ranking, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Top Ranking would have really struggled mm. on their previous albums. It needed that production. There's a track in this as well, um, Silently, which became one of the singles. I think it was the first single off this. And it's basically a bit like Blondie. Yeah, it's like a kind of indie yeah. rock version of Blondie. It's called that kind of 80s kind of instrumental bit in the middle, even with the Lindrum sound and all that, mm-hmm. and the weird sort of pad sounds and stuff. It sounds like it's come right out of a, like a Depeche Mode record a, yeah, an upbeat Depeche Mode record I'm glad they kind of upped their uh, production values on the album I think it really helped like, I think they were probably getting to a bit of a dead end with what they could do mm-hmm. with a much more pared back art rock format and they were they were great like, I they, enjoyed yeah I really, really I like those certainly like Melody, melody and Misery yeah, as well Melody and also the French version Melody Citronique is quite subtly different from Melody it's a different recording session it's not right, just okay. a, but it's excellent in yeah, its own right I like that stripped back yeah, you know. it's great, and and they're known for stripping stuff back. And actually, subsequently, um, so after this album, they did a third album on 4D called Penny Sparkle, mm-hmm. which kind of flopped. I, th- I think actually this album got to like the m- early to mid sixties in the charts. Penny Sparkle was a little bit closer to like the high seventies. Um, went more down the synthy route, and there was only really one track in it that really like caught people's attention. There's a track called Love or Prison, which is really good, mm-hmm. very slow though, but really beautiful. ethereal but it seemed like they tried to redo this for penny sparkle but without yeah. without the naivety of the songwriting so the songwriting on this seemed like they didn't have this in mind they wrote the songs it just happened and then the production made it into what it was whereas for penny sparkle it seems like they maybe set out to try and write that and it just didn't really yeah you feel can't really as... backward engineer that vibe exactly yeah it's not a bad record and in fact i know people that love that album mm-hmm. um 
I like it. I don't love it. Uh, but I would say Lover Prison's a terrific song in it. And then they further strip back again for this, uh, the, the most recent album, which I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but I think it's Baragan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, it's more pared back, less synthy, more in keeping with like Melody, uh, Misery's a Butterfly. There's one really, really good song on it called Mind To Be Had, which is like a really protracted, long, drawn out, but quite upbeat mm-hmm. tune. Tremendous. the album's okay like, it's good actually it's not fair to say it's okay it's good but it, it just they've struggled to recapture this form I think and but given that I find it so it's when I'm looking into reactions at times I got this at the time and I just remember everybody that heard it especially when I got it and was playing it to people I know maybe 10 people that bought this because I was raving about it and yeah, was yeah. Like, listening to this and they were like this is amazing why are we not hearing more about it yeah. um, and I, so I was like why didn't more people get into this album trying to like work out why it it made a lot of the end of year lists. I mean, I know for when I was writing for the skinny, this was my number one for that year. And I totally stand by that. Yeah. To- totally stand by that. Um, I, I'm, I was it's, surprised as to why it hadn't taken more. And when I looked at some of the reviews, I think it was, um, uh, I mean, some of them are good. It was Lena Best Fit had, had said it was brilliant, but then, uh, I think it's Stereo Gum. Mm-hmm. It's Stereo Gum. They did a list of, retrospective list of like Blonde Redhead albums in order. And this was like the second worst. <laughs> I was like, what fucking planet, man? Like, like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, I get it if it's like... It's not what you want from that band. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think there's like a preciousness from that old Sonic Youth crew mm-hmm. who grew up thinking of Blonde Redhead as being this, like I said, Oneida, Unwound, yeah. Liars, Sonic Youth-esque, kind of like oddball art rock band and they didn't want them to change. But it's like, fuck guys, it's better. Yeah. They've done that and they did it well. But this is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. this is fulfilling uh, a space in the market, if you will, that is... Nobody authentic is catering to. Yeah. This is this appeals to fans of really slick electronic pop, but also is legitimate enough to appeal to, to fans of stuff that's a lot more, you know, organic and yeah. comes from that more authentic background. And I, I think even Pitchfork had criticised the production on it. They felt it was kind of pretentious and over the top, bringing in Alan Mulder. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. And I was like, no, I th- it kind of brings it to life. Yeah, but I think, totally. again, that's yeah. maybe... Weird. Uh, uh, I think that's maybe... A, an example of that kind of preciousness of the people who who were like, oh, I liked them. I got their first seven inch. You know, I, I liked yeah. them back when they were cool, and and nobody else liked them. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit bloody minded. And so I think looking at that reaction and the confusion that it met with, maybe that's part of why it never really took because there were too many people writing about it that expected to, you know, yeah, like to, to hear a Sonic Youth light. And then I don't know, maybe some albums just don't click because they don't have the they don't have the single that breaks out or they don't have the video or whatever so yeah it'd be interesting to actually I mean, find out those m- must many reasons the band, but... though. I mean because they when they went to record Baragan which I think was like their biggest recording project like they were they were interviewed at the time and literally described themselves as being poverty stricken like mm. struggling to put food in their fridge yeah um Kazo uh, was interviewed a number of times she actually had a terrible accident and like I think it was 2002 She's a she's really into horse riding, mm-hmm. um, and she has a horse, and it, it, she was thrown from the horse, and the horse crushed her face, like literally, really serious, like smashed jaw, like multiple fractures in her face, had to have reconstructive surgery, and the band were out of commission for quite a while, and so they'd been through the mill a bit, and 
it kind of seemed like maybe this would be this thing that was about to take. Yeah. It is kind of sad to hear a record that's so good and then read an interview with somebody, three, I think it was two or three years later, and she's like, I literally can almost not afford to put food in my fridge. Man, where's the justice in that? And I think that's partly why I feel it's so yeah. merits. Coverage. And at the same time, mm. the Cooks were the biggest band in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like that's that's justice for you. Yeah. And th- th- that's kind of why I think it merits coverage by us on this because it is for me the epitome of a band that just pulled something out of a good career, pulled something exceptional out that has almost anybody I let hear it, including you guys now, are like, man, this is this is great. Yeah. So. Why wasn't that reaction at the yeah, time? And I, for me, I like, I think it's a really good record and I just haven't spent enough time with it. What it's made me do is want to listen to it more. Well, you know, and it, I'm going to put it, I'm going to burn it onto a CD when I find a, a CD <laughs> drive <laughs> to put in my car uh, so I can actually listen to it's it. It's a great driving album. Yeah. But um, I think, th- you know, the Nevermind effect where it's like, you know, you have all the big singles, you have the obvious standout ones, but then gradually you start to love Drain You. And yeah, you start yeah, to love yeah. Lounge Act and you yeah. start to love the, the tracks that are more kind of dotted about the album mm-hmm. tracks. It's like that. And that's where the stuff at the end, like um, top ranking and stuff like that, really start to kick in. Yeah. Because once you're familiar with 23 and Doctor Strange Love and Silently, you suddenly find that there's like other tracks on there. One of the tracks actually that really people pick out as being a highlight of the album is the song Spring and Summer by Fall. Because mm-hmm. um, they swap roles, like Kazu Makino does the vocals and the majority of the stuff, but um, I think yeah. it's Amadeo Apache mixes it up on all their albums. He comes in and does tracks, and sometimes they're kind of quite edgy, arty tracks. Yeah. But on this, he does a few tracks, but there's a couple in particular that are really strong, like mm-hmm. really strong singles. Like SW is good, it's a bit slower, but Spring and Summer by Fall is like a brilliant track in its own right. You know, it's never a single. And those those tracks have a lot of longevity. Once you get past the, the big, the obvious ones, yeah, those are the ones that start to like really appeal. So it does have a hell of a lot of longevity to it. I can. SW has that horn section, which is basically right, a Beatles song. You know, it's really interesting you said that because that's what the reviews referenced the Beatles infatuation that they had mm. and the fact that they were able to do that. And it is, it's very Beatles. Yeah, it? it definitely comes out of something. Maybe they're from, just like, one of these bands that are too straightforward to be like alternative, but then too too weird to be pop. And they just sort of fall down the cracks. And the thing is, though, they weren't on like a negligible label. I mean, 4AD has yeah, the resources yeah, and true. the credibility to market a band like this. 4AD is working with the Pixies and stuff like that, and it's working with all, all, any number of successful edgy artists besides. Yeah. I mean, I think there has to be, with an album this good, that I know it's I know it's anecdotal evidence, but like I said, almost everybody that I've played this album to, there's been a, a level of like, holy shit, why haven't I heard this? And that, to me, suggests a failure on the part of 4AD, you know, to actually get this into people's ears because it's a brilliant record. It's a really, really good record, and I don't understand why it. Yeah. They, they were unable to get such a strong thing across. 
But I mean, the band stuck with 4ED for the album after. I mean, well, I suppose that could have been contractual. But um, yeah, it, it feels like a really missed opportunity, given given the strength of the music that's that's in it and the quality of the production in it. Cool cover as well, right? It's a very cool cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like cool that cover. little. F- like, there's like a little red wrap around goes around the sleeve though, right? So it's like the blue sleeve with that picture on it, which is called the tragedy, I think. The girl with three legs. But then there's like a little red, uh, kind of like like a band that slips over the top of it. And it, that's it. As much as this is a good car album, it's a nightmare in a car because you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't you, you can't fiddle with the band. You always always end up losing it. And the disc falls out. It's just like, Jesus, come get on. on. If you're going to write an amazing mate. car album, <laughs> get in a plastic wallet, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yes, I am sold on it, Chris. Yeah. I have to say. Ab- uh, like, Thank as you. I said, Thank I'll... you for introducing it into my life. You're welcome. I will I'm looking forward to this. knowing it more. If anybody has a criticism of this, I will send you my address <laughs> and we can go at it. And I liked other like the old blonde redhead records that I listened to, yeah, but I don't think they, I don't think they stand out in the genre, or they don't stand out in the discography of the band. People really as much as this does. Misery's a butterfly is the one yeah, that a lot of people. It's a good record, dispute. but I would say that Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons is their best other album, and that track in particular, called in particular, yeah, 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 is tremendous. Like it's really, really. I've lost lost count how many times I've like stuck that on a mixtape for someone it's mm-hmm. just so good and they do have a habit of having really exceptional tracks dotted about their albums but this was a really really good album start to finish I love it uh, thank you as well for bringing it to my life I, I think it should be in discography no question hopefully people will listen to this and then go and listen to it and agree with us because more people deserve to hear it for sure get you know some what I want? fucking food in these guys fridges man because... do you know what I want to do is I want to I want the three of us to go out in a car with the windows down on a spring summer's day, blast this record, wind blowing through our hair. Wistfully looking out. Like doing that yeah. uh, the thing open hand. hand out the window <laughs> uh, and we can all just look at each other and I'll go... I'll be wearing hot oh. pants and I'll have one leg hanging over the side. Oh, thing. that's <laughs> the dream. That's what I want to do with this album. That so. gonna, that's going to be a special day. Can't wait for that, Give guys. Give me ice cream. Uh, as long as it's vegan. Oh, f- <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ruins summer like veganism. I know, I'm sorry. I turned into one of them. Well, <coughs> God damn it! <laughs> All that dairy, mate. All that dairy. <laughs> <laughs> we have agreed that this album should go into our discography of all-time classic records. So do the right thing. Go to our Facebook page and vote. Go and leave a rating and review on iTunes. We've had some nice ones recently, and we would love to have more. So please do that, mm-hmm. guys. What we're we doing next week? I believe we are going to do McCluskey do Dallas. Getting noisy. McCluskey does Dallas. McCluskey do Dallas. Debbie does McCluskey. <laughs> McCluskey does Debbie. McCluskey does Dallas, isn't it? Debbie McCluskey. Probably a real person. Debbie McCluskey does... Goes to Cardiff. <laughs> Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, McCluskey do Dallas. Yeah. It's gonna, Screamer. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I heard that album in a while, but it is a fucking cracker. Right. Lovely stuff. Slam dunk. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Bye.